Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, one of the frustrations that you and I have about studying China-Africa relations as closely as we do is when we see a lot of the research and the Western media coverage uh, actually, I'll even extend it, extend it beyond the Western media coverage, the international media coverage, that talks about the Chinese. They oftentimes talk about the Chinese as if they're in some kind of vacuum. And so they isolate the Chinese experience in Africa from everybody else's. We see this, for example, in labor relations. We've seen it in the kind of some of the disturbances in some of the factories and the mines. We see it in ethnic relations in different African communities. And while the, what the Chinese are doing is important, Without that important context, it is extremely difficult to really understand how do the Chinese fit within the broader story in the context of African society. You also have the same problem in African media coverage of Chinese migration to Africa, where the the Chinese uh, situation, the Chinese, you know, the 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 case of Chinese people are frequently seen in this kind of isolation of are they integrating enough, are they doing this, are they doing that, will they be long term, in, in the long term, will they become part of the society, without taking into account the complexity of African societies themselves and how many other minorities are also actually living in African societies at the moment. And now for the first time that I have seen, after almost a decade now of studying China-Africa relations, I'm seeing the first research that's coming out that actually puts the Chinese experience in places like Zambia into a broader ethnic and social context. And that research is coming from uh, Lu Yao, who is a student, a master's candidate uh, in social sciences at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. For some of you who have been following our show, that, of course, is the university where uh, scholars Barry Soutman and Yen Hairong come from. And uh, Lu Yao has written this really interesting paper uh, called uh, Chinese Integration and Perceptions in Zambia in Comparison with Caucasians and, in- and Indians. Uh, Lu Yao, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Good evening. And I think before we get started on a discussion about your fascinating paper, the one that we just, both Kobus and I, really enjoyed reading, um, I think it's important to kind of talk a little bit about your own personal backstory. Uh, you yourself have a very personal connection to Zambia uh, that is that extends beyond just your scholarly work that you're doing there and your research that you're doing there. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your connections to Zambia? Yes, uh, of course. Um, my mom is a medical doctor and she uh, served as part of the medical team and uh, she went there in 1994. And after she finished her term, uh, she fell in love with uh, Zambia. So our whole family decided to move there in 1998. So uh, I grew up in Zambia, and I have uh, uh, I have a Zambian education from primary to uh, all the way to secondary school. So that no doubt kind of uh, framed how you do how you did your research. So let's quickly let's get now and get into the heart of what you are talking about. And the and the core of your paper was to put the Chinese experience into a broader ethnic context in Zambia, right? Right. Um, well, from um, a lot of the, when the China-Africa uh, discourse sort of uh, uh, started, uh, and um, I was going to university in the U.S., and I, every year I come back to visit family, and I feel the difference 
of how I am perceived in the Zambian uh, society year by year, it changes. Um, because when you grow up in a um, in a country, and you are not very sensitive to the ethnic relations, and neither is your hosting people. I've always felt that I was part of Zambia, but um, but soon around uh, the time of uh, 2010, 11, 12, I would go down the streets and um, people would be talking things to me, and it's uh, it's not a very comfortable experience. But it seems that something was happening and um, everyone with a Chinese face was, dis uh, despite how long they've spent in Zambia, uh, what they're doing, um, they're s slowly being singled out. And it's a very uh, unique experience. So that's sort of uh, one of the reasons why, why I want to bring put the Chinese people back into the whole diverse picture of in Zambia. Um, was that that moment of being singled out? Was that a, a, a particular due to a particular moment in Zambian politics at that moment, or you know, do, do you feel that that is just becoming more and more acute as time goes on? Um, I think uh, the moment was in uh, uh, synchronized with uh, uh, Doctor um, uh, Mr. Michael Sutter's. Um, uh, his political campaigns in um, in um, uh, the because I went back to Zambia in 2012 and I I recall uh, some particular incidents while I was there but I don't know when um, people who spent uh, their whole uh, period in Zambia when their moment started. Let me just put a little bit of context there for folks. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Michael Sadis, the former president, the late president. Of, uh, of Zambia, known as uh, King Cobra. He kind of built a lot of his popularity in the later years of his political life uh, rallying against the Chinese. In fact, he was, for a long time, the most vocal critic of the Chinese in Africa. Uh, in fact, he called Zambia, you know, China's newest province, and he was really, really acidic with the Chinese, and that's, I think, the time period that you're talking about there. And then later, when he came into power, uh, he became very, very collaborative with the Chinese. And it's just funny how when he became president, his, uh, his, you know, his whole policy and outlook towards the Chinese changed. But when we talk about, and, and we're going to get to your research now, and I, and I think because you were very, very specific in your criticisms, and I, this is what I enjoyed most about your paper is that you didn't really mince words. Unlike a lot of academics who kind of dance around the issues, you were specific even calling out certain scholars by name for their kind of selective way of approaching the Chinese in Africa. So you say, for example, that a lot of the media coverage and the scholarly research characterizes Chinese as either, quote, scramblers or exploiters. And then you talk about the ethnic isolation that the Chinese have in Africa. And this is really one of the biggest criticisms from white people in particular about the Chinese in Africa is that they don't assimilate that they hide behind walled compounds, they're isolated from other ethnic groups, they're protected by private security guards, and they generally do not assimilate into the broader culture. And one of your arguments is that, well, in comparison in the context with Indians, South Africans, Lebanese, they're actually not anywhere near as egregious. And tell us a little bit about the research that you found and where the Chinese line up with those other ethnic groups. Well, it, it seems uh, from reading the literature uh, and what uh, some scholars have already done, uh, it seems that they um, hardly compare their study uh, when it, uh, for with the Chinese and with the other ethnicities. 
And um, as you said, calling out the Chinese seems a little bit uh, strange for me because, uh, uh, for example, living in uh, living having security guards at your home, uh, digging your own wells is a very uh, is a very common thing for you to do in Zambia because uh, the water system does not extend uh, to all households, even uh, even to some uh, more suburb area in Lusaka, the capital city. So it is very common for people to um, uh, dig their own wells. And because of the high uh, crime rate, um, people hire security guards and uh, not, not only exclusive to the Chinese. So I wanted to do um, a study to try to put the Chinese people back in context as to um, if we are criticizing the Chinese, we are uh, commenting on the Chinese, how does this comment compare to other people? As in if we ask the same question to the, uh, the, the white people, uh, Indians, Lebanese, and other African uh, migrants in Zambia. So what's the answer? So that's sort of how um, my research was constructed. I wanted to compare uh, different uh, ethnicities. It was very interesting to see, you know, kind of you not only compare different ethnicities, but also to compare them across a bunch of different different areas, um, including uh, personal relationships, uh, you, you know, kind of, um, and then also work relationships. Um, I was surprised at how certain, you know, to, among the, the Chinese and, and, you know, kind of, and other ethnicities landed in a lot of different places on the, in these different areas. I wonder if you could give us the broad outline of some of your findings in relation to Zambian perceptions of these ethnicities. Okay, um, so originally I wanted to to know how Zambians perceive uh, perceive the uh, different uh, the non-indigenous uh, ethnicities. So um, I, I chose five people. I, I I would like to include more, but I don't want to annoy those who are uh, doing the interviews and the, who are doing the questionnaires. Um, so um, I, I picked out uh, the white people. This is the white people. Um, I really uh, don't like the word because uh, the white people are worth a uh, many research topics within themselves. We have many kinds of white people, the, the older ones, the British uh, Zambians, uh, those from South African whites, and we also have new white people coming uh, from uh, Europe, uh, US, Australia. And so, um, but, um, but uh, from observation, it seems that white people in general do have a image in Zambia. So I have to tentatively include the white people and, the, and obviously, uh, I want to include the Chinese, uh, the Indian people, and then uh, the Lebanese uh, as well, because uh, uh, they are also an ethnicity that is being talked about, although not on a very large scale. And finally, um, um, uh, South Africa, because I wanted to um, include another African country in uh, the, compar the comparison, uh, sort of as a, as a control or to see how this is placed within other continent uh, uh, who sends my, uh, who have migrants uh, over here. So um, it seems that uh, uh, the results uh, differ a little bit, but the general ethnic hierarchy, according to Zambian perception, is very stable. And uh, the preliminary result is that uh, the white people are on the top of the hierarchy, um, followed by the South Africans. And then um, you have the Chinese and the Indians almost at the same level with the Chinese uh, a little bit uh, higher than the Indians. And then finally, we, uh, we have the Lebanese. So this is, um, I, I, when I had uh, 
uh, when I was uh, coding the data, I didn't know what uh, I was expecting. So it was not a surprise that uh, the white people were on top, but I didn't know how the rest would fall. So right now I have this um, hierarchy in, in my data and I'm trying to figure out uh, why and try to explain that. Just quickly, when you say South African, are you referring to South African white or South African black or both? Um, when, I, uh, when I had the, um, w- when the, when the question was laid out, um, I, I wasn't sure uh, how the Zambian people would consider that. So I took the survey and I asked, uh, uh, asked uh, some uh, subjects to um, how, how they perceive. And according to them, as long as they see white in there, they would include all the white people in there. And the South African, they would um, uh, understand that as a um, as South African black people, but um, I I feel that a lot of them also um, because the because of South African is there they consider both black and white people. So mm. this is a um, so uh, th- this is uh, what what, ha- what happens here. Uh, I would criticize myself because uh, it is not very uh, it can be a little bit misleading, but um, what. Um, but uh, for this uh, result, I think uh, there should be further studies on how Zambian people um, uh, perceive the white people in terms of Zambian white, uh, um, uh, new white people and the South African white people. Um, what came out in the results, um, uh, fortunately for me, is that uh, the white people and the South African people are next to each other in the hierarchy. <laughs> so... Yeah. So, Cobus, uh, <laughs> right. did any of uh, let me ask you very quickly? Did any of of Yao's findings surprise you, particularly in terms of the placement of where the Chinese are? Obviously, not at the top with the whites, but not at the bottom with the Lebanese in terms of Zambian perceptions. Did, did were you surprised by any of the results? I was very intrigued by them. Um, I was surprised that that the Chinese landed, you know, roughly in the middle. Um, again, because as as, as um, Yao has pointed out, you know, the reporting about them is frequently seen completely in isolation. So one has no idea, you know, kind of where they, where they lie. And also um, the, the impression is that they're uniquely unpopular, which then turned out to not be, to not be true. Um, what was also very surprising and intriguing to me is, and I actually want to ask you know, a little bit more about that, is it didn't seem to really correlate in relation to how long these populations have been in Zambia. Because as, as I understand, Indian populations have been in Zambia for a long time. Right. Um and you know, kind of, there is a perception that Chinese populations or large-scale Chinese migration is is much more recent. Did you see newness correlating at all in in relation or, or perceptions of newness at all? No, no, I didn't. Um, I was uh, in the National Archives and uh, to to see if there is any um, any migration of uh, other other people, and it seems that I only found the the earliest uh, migration uh, apart from the white people is the Indians, and for the after that you have a very long period when no new ethnicity came in. So um, so I I don't think it has anything. Uh, um, at least from uh, from my research, it has any uh, correlation with the uh, uh, with the time that they have moved in. But um, um, I did try to interview some uh, Zambian people and and Indian people, and and uh, one of the family that I uh, one Indian family that I interviewed, they are from a branch 
uh, of uh, Muslims who came in through um, uh, uh, northeastern Rhodesia in ni- the 19, uh, 1905. So, so and their family have been around for uh, for generations, and they they have all assimilated very well. But um, it seems that uh, this is their own uh, life and their own perception. But uh, but the Zambian perception to them is not very connected. I want to make sure we have time to address probably the most visible issue in this story, which is the the labor situation and the working conditions. Uh, a lot of people may have seen coverage of the Chinese in Zambia because of instances like the violence that occurred at the mines. And I, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was at the Colum mine where Zambian workers kind of rebelled against the Chinese owners. A Chinese manager brought out a shotgun, fired... In, not into the crowd, but off the ground, and a shell then hit, you know, somebody and injured them. That got an enormous amount of international press. And then your colleagues or your professors and mentors at in Hong Kong, Barry Soutman and Yenhai Rong, subsequently did some research, which kind of really explained that although the Chinese are getting these awful headlines, when you put them in the context of labor relations, particularly with white-owned companies, uh, the Chinese are actually not the worst. And then you're now doing research on this very subject, and it seems to be that you're confirming that as well. Talk to us a little bit about the situation with labor and the mines in particular in Zambia, because that seems to be a flashpoint, particularly in the eyes of Westerners. As much as I would like to address the mines, I'm not an expert on that. Um, um, I have been to uh, Kitwe and uh, have spoken to uh, to some of the managers and people in there, but uh, it was only on uh, a few occasions. So I don't think I have uh, enough uh, expertise to comment on that. But in terms of uh, labor relations compared to uh, the white people, the Indians, um, I would say that uh, my uh, idea to compare different kinds of ethnicity is uh, inspired by uh, Barry and Hyron's studies in their um, works in the mines. And um, um, I, um, in in terms of labor relations, if we only um, ask the same question to uh, ask the question to how the Chinese companies are doing in the violent incidents and and so on, um, I I think we a a more in context study would be to ask the same questions to other companies. And what is your definition of a Chinese company? Is it an international Chinese company? Is it a, a, a state-owned enterprise? Is it a personal uh, individual, uh, well, family family business in there? These are all on very different levels. And um, if if you only use the word Chinese, it's uh, 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 we we don't really have much context. So um, I've also uh, um, uh, done some research on. The labor relations between for, for the Chinese and the uh, and uh, the Zambians, Lebanese and Zambians and whites and Zambians, and I've also um, uh, uh, heard and encountered some uh, um, conflicts in these cases. So, um, um, well, my my general uh, perception is that we have to tell the whole story if we're telling a story. <laughs> you should teach journalism. Um, yeah, um, one one of the one of the key questions that that your work really I think raises um, is 
you know, we, we've heard this, it's, it's almost become a cliche in China-Africa coverage that the Chinese keep themselves apart, they don't integrate, they never want to integrate. Um, and I think your study really starts questioning the concept of integration itself, you know, kind of starting to ask and starting to almost quantify what does it actually mean to be integrated into African society as, as a minority population. And the point that you also make in the paper is that, you know, kind of, for example, they would be, Chinese would be uh, criticized for having security guards and for, for digging their, their own wells. And then you point out, yes, a, lots of people in Zambia do that anyway, and lots of minority populations all do that. Um, in, you know, kind of, did, did you get a glimpse so far of what Zambians would, what do they mean by integration? And what would a fully integrated minority life in Zambia actually look like? Every, every Zambian um, person I have interviewed, I, um, I asked them to define what is Zambian culture and uh, they each gave me very different answers. And um, some, um, there are some more uh, uh, globalized views and some more traditional views. Um, I asked them, what is Zambian culture? Is it the traditional culture that you find in, in rural areas, in, uh, in, the, in the tribal areas? Is it a more uh, uh, urban life that has influence from, from the West, from uh, uh, from uh, uh, that has the Western uh, uh, education and that uh, has a lot of uh, um, Muslim and Hindu presence. Do you, would you call that uh, uh, Zambian culture as well? Because we have a very huge, uh, uh, because Zambia is a Christian uh, country, but so uh, we have a lot of Muslim and Hindu and other religions here. And they, uh, they um, uh, the Muslim people sort of uh, also confined to their own community, but uh, would you say they have integrated or not? So um, everyone give me uh, give me different answers to that, but uh, uh, in general, Zambian people, uh, those who I've talked to are very um, are very happy to contain new uh, new ideas and new cultures within them, and and they are also very uh, willing to learn new kinds of uh, cultures. They have, um, uh, in many uh, instances, um, uh, my Zambian interviewees have said, well, we have uh, over 70 ethnicities uh, within our own country, uh, the indigenous ones, so uh, we are always a welcoming country. Um, so, uh, so, so I guess I, so in response to your country, I, I personally, I don't know what it's like to have a fully integrated Zambian life. I guess different people have uh, different uh, uh, measurements. So I'm trying to come up with some common measurements um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of work, uh, culture, and culture is a very big word, um, and also in terms of uh, eating, marriage, um, and in resolving uh, conflicts, in equality, legal perspectives. I'm trying to um, to see what. Uh, could be some measurements of uh, integration. You know, Kobus, I think there's also a certain degree of white privilege that goes on in this discussion. You know, white people, you know, for the most part in Africa, here in Asia, other parts of the world, um, I, I never, I don't really hear this question of the, uh, you know, do they assimilate or do they not? And the irony was that when I used to live in Kinshasa, 
you know, white aid workers would sit around in their, literally, you know, in their $100,000 Land Rovers in walled compounds with their satellite TV, their food flown in. I mean, it's just the most obscene thing you've ever seen. And, and are hurling the kind of accusations towards the Chinese about it not assimilating or acculturating. And you're just kind of like, are you, you're just in some parallel universe. And when the media coverage of whites around the world, again, we don't see that pressure on us. I certainly don't have the pressure here in Vietnam to assimilate or to acculturate when other ethnicities do. And I think that's very interesting to kind of see this, this ethnic and racial relativism that comes into this discussion. And it's particularly relevant when we look at the international media coverage uh, with either journalists who are based outside of Africa who fly in and kind of bring up these narratives that, that, that Yao is kind of talking about, which are out of context, uh, or by whites oftentimes and, uh, who are in Africa, who, who they themselves have not done a good job uh, of assimilating. And if we talk about a basic definition of assimilation or acculturation, the way I look at it is speaking the language is really very important. Do you kind of buy your food in the same places that other people buy their food? Or do you buy at kind of expensive supermarkets that are isolated, if you're a foreign expat, for example, or a, uh, you know, an aid worker or whatnot? Or do you kind of isolate yourself behind the walls uh, in, in your own compounds, as the Chinese often do. So I think language and religion and just spending time in this and going out into the culture, putting your children into local schools, those are all the kind of the checkboxes of assimilation. But at Cobus, I'd, I'd be interested to take, get your take on, on kind of my accusations and my hurling of, of, of insults towards the Western press and, and whites for their you know, criticism of the Chinese. No, I, I definitely share those those problems. I, I think I think it's a it's a, you know the, these there's a, a lot of of these kind of misperceptions, are very convenient misperceptions, um, are, are you know kind of come up through Western press because of course it makes it it a takes the issue of of white versus black, which is still a key a key uh, flashpoint in African life and politics. It takes that off the table, and it, obviously it, it makes you know kind of like white Westerners feel great, you know, kind of because they they you know kind of they're not being accused of anything. Um, so you know, but I, I tend to want to actually. You know, kind of want to move the, the the conversation actually away from white privilege a little bit, in because I, I am a little bit afraid that it that it 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 takes black not to sound too academic, but it you know kind of it, it, it takes black subjectivity off the table and and refocuses the conversation on whiteness. Um, you know, so so what what I'm very interested in is um, is really the 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 core of what what Yao's work is moving towards which is really what do black people think about these situations right um which which my feeling is that that kind of talking about white privilege tends to again refocus it away from that issue um and it's very interesting you know kind of i think south africa presents an even more complicated challenge to to the 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 ideas of integration that you've set up because in south africa south africa lots of people of all kinds of races including you know, a majority of black people live behind high walls. A lot of them shop at swanky supermarkets or don't necessarily, even if they don't, they don't necessarily shop at markets. Um, you know, kind of there's all, all of these different different kind of ways of living that, that would in other parts of Africa define the elite versus the normal people. In South Africa, it breaks down in more complicated ways. Um, and so, uh, you know, and also I think a, a different thing is there isn't this, in South Africa, there isn't this clear break between local language and and colonial language, I had a fascinating discussion with with some of my students who are all young black women, 
Um, and I asked them literally about, about Chinese integration in South Africa. And one of them said she has massive problems with seeing Chinese writing on signs. She wants English. And I'm like, uh, it was then up to me, the white guy in the room, going, yeah, English is a colonial language. You know, um, and, 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 you know, kind of, but South Africa is part of the Anglophone world and black South Africans are part of the Anglophone world. And so it weirdly, you know, kind of what, what in the mouth of a Donald Trump supporter would be the worst kind of racist nativism becomes a weird kind of Africanist, pan-African, you know, kind of a now anti-Chinese thing to say. It's dizzyingly complicated and this is actually why why Yao's work is so valuable it is exactly why Yao's work is so valuable uh Yao where where do you take this where where do you go it seems like your paper was 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 not very long which was great for us because we could get through it sometimes the academic papers are unbearably (laughs) long so I was quite grateful but it seems like this is just the start for a deeper survey into the into the subject of kind of racial identity and race relations and ethnic relations and cultural relations and assimilation and acculturation, all those great words in Zambia. What's the next step for you? Uh, Well, the next step is uh, definitely to try to uh, understand and uh, um, explain the reasons uh, for Zambian people's uh, perception. We we might be looking into the colonial history, might be looking into the uh, migration history, in, um, on why um, the sort of uh, uh, ethnic hierarchy has been built, and uh, it's it's been quite stable. And uh, we we would distribute uh, surveys uh, in. We did it in three cities, and they they all come up um, quite similar to each other. It's a, it's a stable it's a stable image uh, in the perception of uh, the uh, the urban uh, Zambian people, uh, or at least according to our survey. So um, I want to know. Um, why, for example, the Lebanese uh, uh, people coming uh, into the bottom is quite a surprise, and uh, I'm trying to explain that and 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 see what are the reasons that uh, the Lebanese uh, have uh, have uh, made uh, a quite uh, uh, a negative image compared to the other ethnicities. And also, um, I think uh, a very interesting topic for for me is also to complain uh, to to uh, excuse me c- compare the Chinese people and the Indian people. And um, uh, w- when I was into the uh, in the archives, um, and I was reading uh, some letters and exchanges between the um, uh, British South Africa Company and the African Lakes Company in terms of uh, whether they should allow Indian traders to come into Zambia, uh, it they had a very interesting conversation, and a, a lot of the words that's used a hundred years ago has been used today on the Chinese people as they are coming in. So I, I think it's uh, that's very fascinating, and um, a third point is um, is on um, a study on the white people. I think uh, the white uh, people and uh, even the coloured people uh, in the community, the whole community in uh, in Africa, is also uh, worth uh, many research topics. It's been uh, because amongst themselves, there there are uh, uh, many, um, they have very different migration stories and their accumulation stories and, uh, in their own, in terms of their religions and cultures. Um, I think it's also, um, uh, I think it's also unfair to, um, uh, to categorize every Caucasian population as a, as a white. And so, uh, these are the a few directions that I can think of that Fantastic. I will be uh, doing. 
Well, Lu Yao is a master's student and, and in social sciences at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Uh, we will share some of her findings from her recent work on our website in the show page and some of the links to where you're getting this show. Uh, so if you want to see her work that she's done, uh, it's really it's very, very exciting. And I think for us, it's also exciting because we're starting to see a new generation of scholars come up through the ranks and, and academics doing some really exciting research. Just over the past few weeks, we've done shows with a number of, of scholars in their 20s, and, and they're coming at, this, at these stories with whole new different approaches than an older generation. And I think uh, both Kobus and I are thrilled to kind of see that happen. So Lu Yao, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on your paper, and we're really excited to follow your work in the coming months and years. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And Kobus and I will be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinesk, or Eric at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa. China Africa.